Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. So, Aaron, I hear you have a story about the Ewok village in Disney Infinity. Oh, yeah. Came sharing. <laughs> <laughs> Disney Infinity, man. It's like, it just came out and I was not planning on buying it at all. And then I saw people tweeting about it and I just like, you know, I got caught up in the hype and I actually went from not having any plans to purchase the game to going out like opening or the day it was released finding it and buying a bunch of like the figures that came with it and playing it for hours on end after that and blaming me i did blame you publicly um yes you did (laughs) but yeah so the ewok village you were just talking right before we started recording you were talking about how you were so excited when you kind of or when you uh i guess do you call it unlocked or yes i unlocked it you unlocked that in the game and i didn't get to do that my brother while I was going to get food, picked up the controller and started playing the game and actually unlocked the Ewok Village without me. No. Yes. That is terrible. Yeah, that's like a party foul. That's the worst ever because yeah. that's the one of the coolest things that happens in the hub. I know. I come back and I see him playing with Kanan and he's running around the treetops of the Ewok Village. I'm like, when did this happen? And he's like, oh, I played something and unlocked this. And I was like... You just did one of the coolest things in the game, and you didn't pay a dime for this. I was <laughs> not happy. That's terrible. So he is no longer my brother. Oh, I my have, God. I disowned yeah. him. Well, you know, not everybody gets the Ewok Village. I don't know if you knew that. Oh. Um, only PlayStation 4 and Xbox One users actually get the Ewok Village due to the space on the systems to be able to um, do the graphics for it. So... Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and Wii users do not get it. Huh. Interesting. Well, we're the yeah, lucky ones. Yeah, um, because Sarah um, Woloski, she was trying to find it, couldn't figure out why she couldn't unlock it. She'd done all the missions with Mulan, and it still wasn't opening. And we did a little bit of research, and we found out. Huh. So. So, Jason. Yay. The other voice here with us. Yes. Are you playing Disney <laughs> Infinity? Um, well, I sort of, um, I literally just got it and I had about 10 minutes to play before I had to do this podcast. So I've gotten through the introduction and I've registered so I could get the Hera figure or the Hera townsperson. Yeah. Um, and that is about it. I only have the two figures, although funny story, um, my sister, she's seven is a huge Frozen fan. And so before I even bought the starter pack, I bought the two, I bought Anna and Elsa for my little sister. Oh, that's awesome. Just so she could play with that. And she's been asking me like every week when, she's been asking me every week when the next, when the the starter pack would get here. And I was just like, you gotta wait until, you know, like four weeks, three weeks, two weeks. (laughs) Well, and you know, they released Olaf with the starter pack. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. And you can play all of them in the toy box, which is neat. So you can be a Star Wars character and she can be Anna or Elsa or Olaf. Um, And that's pretty fun. I like playing in the toy box. The only time I don't like it is when 
My husband decides that all he's going to do is build mines and bombs and stuff purposely to blow me up every step <laughs> I take. That was my last night. I was playing as Sabine and I was blown up by Donald Duck like 75 <laughs> times. Well, I might need... I just love that you said Sabine and Donald Duck in the same sentence. <laughs> That's what's so cool about the game. Like when you're playing through it, you're you're playing as Star Wars characters if you want to. And you're meeting up with Disney characters, and there's Marvel, you know, play sets and all this stuff going on, and Pixar characters. It's like all my favorite things in one game. So, yeah, I'm loving it. Contrary to what this may sound like, <laughs> it is not a Disney Infinity podcast. This is Star Wars Bookworms number 45. I'm Teresa Delgado, one of your co-hosts, and Aaron Goins is here with me. We also have our special guest, um, who you've already heard, Jason Hamilton. He's from the Legends and Lore podcast, and he also is a writer for StarWars.com. So, hey, Jason, how are you? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. You're probably like, I wish I was playing Disney Infinity right now. <laughs> He might be, for all we know. Um, no, nah, nothing beats podcasting. Man. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Legends and Lore. All right, so Legends and Lore is your competitor. Um, <laughs> no, but... Um, Never heard of it. Um, <laughs> it's part of the Far, Far Away Radio Network, which I also participate in. Uh, and basically, we talk about everything that is canon. Um, so not just books, but we also cover the short stories, the comics, um, the video games. Uh, we're not really talking about film and television because there are plenty of other podcasts that do that, including Far, Far Away Radio. Uh, so we just kind of focus on everything else besides those two mediums. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, Jonathan Baker, a.k.a. Nerf, is my co-host and we just barely added a third co-host uh, with elaine twite who you may know from twitter oh um, yeah she's awesome yeah she's great so she's our third co-host and she'll have her first official episode as a co-host with us um pretty soon i think so cool. oh that's cool i like to say we don't have competitors we have other people that are just like us <laughs> yeah yeah no, I was just messing around. <laughs> no, it's fun. You know, just... I actually like having shows that kind of do something similar. And you may feel the same way, but it's almost like you get to listen to their shows and sort of hear what they're doing. And it almost pushes you to be better, you know. So I like the fact that there's other book and comic podcasts out there and getting to hear all the different flavors. Plus, we all sound different because we all have different opinions. So I think it's very cool. Plus, it's just cool that, you know, there used to be a time where there was only one, maybe two Star Wars podcasts out there. And now there are like four or five just on the literature, you know? Right. Um, which is really cool to see, see how the fandom has grown, I think. All right. And so you also do some writing for StarWars.com. So what kind of stuff do you um, do for them? Well, my, uh, my articles are very specifically focused on mythology. That's something that I've kind of studied my whole life. Uh, did a lot, you know, I was an English major in college, and so that's one of the things that I talked about a lot. I wrote several articles on, like, how Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter made use of mythology, and so I was able to uh, talk to Matt Martin at uh, StarWars.com and propose the idea to write about the mythology in Star Wars, and so that's what I'm doing. Um, currently, uh, there are only three articles out there, but uh, I'm currently writing another one 
um, that might incorporate Jar Jar Binks a little bit. So I'm already excited and interested. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know where he falls in mythology. Now, are you looking at all kinds of mythology or is it just focused on like sort of one area? Um, right now I'm looking just kind of at different archetypes and just fleshing out how those archetypes are used in Star Wars. But um, uh, and if it's related to mythology, I will probably talk about it at some point. Like I want to do a couple of articles that are all based around just the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. different stages of it and do that in like maybe three articles yeah, so there, there are a bunch of things i could do cool well recently in our book club um for august we did dark disciple and so if you haven't heard of our book club or if you're not a part of our book club you can go to goodreads.com and just search for um star wars bookworms book club i think and um you can find us over there there's a lot of discussion going on and there's people that are always active and next week um, after, after Aftermath comes out is when we will start Aftermath in the book club. So make sure you go out and pick up your copy of Aftermath because it is coming very soon, like two days away. As of Yay. probably, if you're listening to this right now, it's either it's probably already released because yeah, this, this episode will likely come out on Force Friday. Wow. This cool. is our Force cool. Friday special episode. Woo! We planned that. (laughs) (laughs) Not really. So coming up, um, we've had a bunch of stuff from D23 and things that are not necessarily book related, but related to The Force Awakens. So we wanted to mention it. There was the about 10 or 15 second little teaser on Instagram. Did you guys get to see that? About a million times. Yeah. Yeah, It's designed to loop. (laughs) So yes, I've watched it so many times in a row. So what was your guys' favorite part of it or most surprising i think i can pinpoint it for everybody uh yeah i think you probably can yeah so if you haven't seen this basically it's some clips from things we've seen before with kylo ren we do get a new shot of ray um not really sure what's happening with her but probably the biggest thing is where finn lights up a blue lightsaber but there's a lot of questions that people have been asking when it comes to this, and I choose not to speculate. But do you guys have any thoughts related to his new lightsaber? See, I knew that you were going to say you don't like to speculate. So mm-hmm. that's why I was like, we have to get somebody else on so I can speculate with them. <laughs> but, yeah, I watched that teaser. Uh, too bad I don't enjoy speculating. Oh, Jason. No, I'm just kidding. Don't disappoint me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's let's do it right now. But yeah, I think with the that exclusive poster that came out in D23, you know, I think that was the first kind of reveal that we got of of Finn carrying a lightsaber or not carrying a lightsaber, but actually having an ignited lightsaber in his hands. Um, and then the trailer came out, and we got to see it again, except you know, live action, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, they're everyone's kind of questioning is that really you know is he does he have a lightsaber because he's a force user did he happen to just pick it up and thought it would be cool to turn it on like what why is this character carrying a lightsaber what does it mean do you think jason uh this is an indicator of him being a a force sensitive character or is uh is jj abrams just kind of throwing trying to throw us all off well 
That, that's a tough question because I don't I don't think it's a I, it's definitely not a given that he's a force uh, wielding character, uh, but I think just uh, assuming that he really is fighting Kylo Ren and it's not just a clever edit, um, I think in order to hold his own against Kylo Ren, he would probably need to use the force, unless Kylo Ren also doesn't use the force. See, there's so many ways it could go. That's that's the problem here. Uh, what I find more interesting is he seems to be the one carrying the lightsaber and not Ray, which would have been my first guess. Because, uh, you know, that's a mytho- mythological trope right there, actually, is the passing of the sword from father to son and so forth. And so I would actually go out on a limb, a uh, big limb, and speculate that Finn might be related in some way to Luke. Really? Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Um, we know for sure that his last name is being hidden at, on purpose because J.J. Abrams said so in uh, I think the e, uh, the Entertainment Week- Weekly article. Um, and so of course people are speculating because he's a person of color that he's related to some other person of color and I actually don't think so. Um I think it's because there were there were people who were not people of color auditioning for this role that we heard a lot about back in the day. Um at least I assume it was this role. Could have been others, but um uh, I, I I think that what they did was just pick the right person for the part. And then decide to sort out lineage later. Uh, so I think he might actually be related to Luke Skywalker, whether he had, uh, you know, whether it's through adoption or something else. I think that might be the case. Hmm. But who knows? There's really so many ways that this could go. Yeah, and for me, honestly, I like I don't speculate a lot, but I think it's a clever edit. Um, I also don't think that it necessarily means that he is a force user. Um, I think it could be that Ray and him are both force users. I also don't think that it means anything that he has the lightsaber right now and she doesn't. Um, I also don't think you have to be a force sensitive person to use a lightsaber. So we shall see. To use it well, though. So basically, you don't think any of the things I said. Well, I mean, it just, it could be, but I don't think it necessarily is. I actually like where you went with that he's related to Luke somehow. And I also like what you said about um, they picked the right person for the part and they're figuring out lineage later. I would actually love it if he was in some way related to Luke through some sort of adoption or something like that. So I think that that would be a really cool idea. And if they go that way, I'm going to be really excited. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, I th- I mean, I think that I'm kind of 50-50 on it. Part of me thinks that they wouldn't put him in, you know, such upfront promotional material with a lightsaber in his hands unless he was a Force user. It's just such, it would be such a misdirect that I could see viewers getting confused when they watch the movie and he wasn't. Um, but at the same time, I think it could just be J.J. Abrams messing with us. So... <laughs> I, I really don't know. I think it'd be cool if he is a Force user, and I think it'd be awesome if both him and Ray are both Force users. Um, and, you know, maybe one goes one way, one goes the other. I, the poster, I think, is also interesting in that Ray kind of falls right down the middle of light and dark. And 
you know, so I, yeah. who knows if that, you know, that could just be, you know, just the way that the poster is laid out. But I know they've done that in posters in the past where kind of they have the dark side on one side, the light side on the other. And then like Anakin Skywalker kind of in the middle because he kind of, you know, obviously turned. So that would be interesting, you know, to see if maybe that's a little bit of foreshadowing of maybe Ray's future. But hmm. all speculation at this point, we, you know, I think me and Teresa have always been pretty upfront about the fact that we do not follow spoilers so we don't know anything um so you know this is complete speculation without any knowledge of spoilers but um yeah definitely some cool stuff that's been coming out lately Mm -hmm. well when the show comes out it's going to be force friday so people are already going to know what our plans are but since we're recording it right now what are your guys's plans for force friday um i'm planning on being at a toys r us i had wanted to go to target but the closest target to me doing a midnight force friday is about an hour away so i'm not going to be doing that um and i made the decision not to go to walmart because i already found the walmart exclusive and bought it so i don't need to do that so i'm going to be going to toys r us so jason are you going to be doing anything yeah, I'm still figuring that out. Um, there are a lot of other fans that live here in Maryland, uh, and we're thinking of trying to get together and do something. But I'll probably go to Toys R Us. They're really the only thing I really care about are the books. Mm-hmm. So I'll be at Barnes and Noble, um, and then if I can find a Funko Pops First Order Stormtrooper, I'll be getting that as well. Cool. Cool. What about you, Aaron? Matt, I don't have much. I am doing a midnight, you know, opening at, at Toys R Us here out in Pennsylvania. Um, some friends are coming with me. Actually, Arish from Del Rey is going to be coming down. He has some family in the area, so we're going to be hanging out at the same Toys R Us. Um, going to get in line and try to get there early. I don't know what to expect. Like these kind of events, you just never know. You know, it could be pretty easy to get in there and get what you want it could be crazy packed and we have to wait in line forever i don't know what to expect but i'm excited about the whole event of it and actually there's a lot of stuff i'm not a big toy collector in general but there's a lot of stuff that i've seen that i want so i'm kind of bracing myself for uh the amount of money that i'm going to be spending tomorrow night when i'm out uh doing this but um lego sets are really kind of what's at the top of my list I, i think the millennium falcon looks awesome the the black X-Wing with Poe Dameron and the BB-8 minifig. And so there's a, a lot of that stuff, vinyl pops. Um, what else did I, there was a couple other things I want. I definitely want to get a Captain Phasma action figure. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff yes. that if I can find it, I'll probably buy it. Now that BB-8 little like Sphero robot that they just mm. announced. Oh yeah. That's going to be hard to find because I know they're limited supply, but if I come across one, it's going to be nearly impossible for me not to purchase because I just I just want to have a BB-8. So Well, I know for a fact they're going to be at Apple stores. So Oh, really? Um that's where they are and I um I know some people that buy. work at an Apple store, so you can find them at Apple stores. Cool. Which may that would be a cool place to check. Um for me, I do collect toys. But interestingly enough, there's not a ton that I want to get. Um, I don't tend to get three and three quarter inch action figures um, purely because I can't open them up and display them and have them stand. They always fall over. They're kind of the worst thing to open and display on a shelf. (laughs) So the ones I have are mostly in their boxes. Um, The Funko Pops are all right. 
Um, Aaron and I still have the same gripe about Funko Pops that they are bobbleheads and not just final figures like the Disney ones or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or whatever. They still have the bobblehead, which I wish they would change. Um, so I got the Funko Walmart exclusive, which was the Sand Trooper and the Dubak, and so that set. Um, I don't really know if I'm going to get any of the others. If anything, I'm looking for new Hot Wheels. I want the Kylo Ren Hot Wheel and the Zeb Hot Wheel. The Hot Wheels, I actually do collect them. I'm looking forward to the Micro Machines. I think that's pretty cool. But honestly, the majority of the stuff I'm looking for is wearable stuff. So I'm looking forward to what her universe releases. There is going to be a BB-8 bomber jacket um, that I'm really excited for. And there's going to be a bunch of stuff coming from her as well as all new collections at Hot Topic. The CoverGirl makeup is coming out. And then also something I found out today, Kay Jewelers, who has a charm bracelet line, has Star Wars charms coming from what it looks like and Star Wars jewelry coming out that I can add to my Pandora bracelet. So I'm kind of geeking out about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see. I mean, you have to go because I'm going to a Toys R Us, but obviously they're going to have Force Friday stuff across a ton of different stores. Um, Some are open at midnight, some aren't. But I should have just taken the day off work on Friday because I kind of want to go around to like Barnes & Noble and Best Buy and Walmart and Target and all these other places, Hot Topic places that are just going to have all this new stuff. Um, but maybe I'll just wait till Saturday and kind of make all the rounds. But yeah, I'm, I'm getting really excited about all this stuff coming out. And it just means that we're getting that much closer to The Force Awakens. So getting all ramped up about it. It's awesome. But yeah, I'm definitely going to be going by Barnes and Noble. So thanks. Talking about books, um, there's a bunch of stuff coming out. Probably the biggest one for a lot of people is Aftermath. After that is probably Lost Stars, which is the young adult novel. And then there is the frame novels, which are The Weapon of a Jedi, Smuggler's Run, and Moving Target, which are basically the Luke, Han, and Leia books. And then, let's see, Star Wars, absolutely everything you need to know. Um, Adam Bray and Cole Horton wrote that one, and so I'm pretty excited for that. And there's a ton of other stuff, so much stuff coming out um, here on Force Friday. So I don't know if there's there any one book you guys are looking forward to the most. Well, I hate to say Aftermath because I feel like that's the obvious one, but I kind of have to say Aftermath. If I had to pick another one, though, um, it would be the Luke novel by Jason Fry because I love Jason Fry. Mm. Uh, even though it's a, it's a middle grade novel, he did a great job with the Servants of the Empire books. Um which are also middle grade, but mm-hmm. he doesn't dumb anything down or anything like that. You, an adult can totally read it and enjoy it. So I'm probably looking forward to that one the most because Luke's my favorite character. Okay. What about you, Aaron? I'm looking forward to um, Aftermath the most, and then probably after that I'm just really curious about what Lost Stars is going to be all about. Um, so, yeah, those two are kind of the big ones that I'm looking forward to reading first. So I'm actually looking forward to Lost Stars the most. Um, that's the one that has my attention right now. And, of course, Aftermath, just because it sounds interesting. But after that, it's actually probably um, the Shattered Empire comics have kind of piqued my interest. So I'm sort of excited about getting into those. Um, that might be one I actually read issue by issue, which I don't typically do. 
Yeah, um, I, think I it, also... Go ahead. I was just going to say about the Shattered Empire comics. I think originally the first issue was supposed to come out on Force Friday, but it got delayed, so it is coming out later that month, but it's not going to be out for Force Friday, unfortunately. It's coming out mm. the Wednesday after. Is it the Wednesday after? Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I do need to pick up season one of Rebels. I know it didn't come out for Force Friday, but I need to pick it up because I have learned that I'm in the special features, apparently. In what way? Hmm. Um, the interview that we did after we saw the season two premiere and the giant fangirl flail that was seen in one of the Ahsoka video is actually oh, in that. the extras <laughs> of season one of Rebels Blu-ray. So that's something that I need to get. <laughs> that's awesome. I was alerted to that by Tracy Canobio, so um, I'm kind of interested at what actually is in there. <laughs> if it's just the flail or maybe more. Or if it's more, yeah. Because I'm hoping it's more because we talked a lot and I don't remember what we said. <laughs> well, one interesting thing about the Lucan and Leia books actually is the prologue of each of those books is set in the Force Awakens time. So the prologues are actually set like um, you know 30 years after Return of the Jedi, even though the books themselves are set um, at different time periods, there will be a little bit of a peek into kind of the uh, the universe there. That's interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So I might actually flip I'm to a... that, that stuff first and just read those prologues first before I jump into anything else. I'm kind of a chronology nut, and so that upsets me because <laughs> I'm trying to, like, figure out where do I where put, do you put it? in the timeline? <laughs> do I put it in, you know, in the... Because usually I structure it by frame story. Go with the frame story, but uh, oh well. Well, then you're going to be very disturbed when you play the Rise Against the Empire playset of Disney Infinity. Your chronology is going to get all messed up. <laughs> Just like <laughs> well, you know that now. Um, at least I know it doesn't, it's not like canon. Well, they do something interesting in how they tell the story of meeting up with Obi-Wan and everything. And it's not exactly the way that we knew it. It's actually very backwards because Han and Chewie and Leia are already there um, before huh. Luke meets Obi-Wan Kenobi. So <laughs> I, w I started playing it and I was like, um, this is very not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> but that's okay. We also got the cover released for Star Wars Battlefront Twilight Company by Alexander Freed, and it looks like a video game. It does look like <laughs> a video game. It looks like a yes, screenshot directly out of a video game. I love it, though. I think the yeah, cover looks too. so cool. Great. I wasn't that it excited about this book. It doesn't look like a normal Star Wars book. Yeah, I wasn't that excited about this book until I saw the cover. And I know that you know the cover really doesn't indicate, you know, as we can talk about with... Uh, Lords of the Sith what actually is in the book but just the idea of this you know kind of this squad of, of soldiers that all look very different and uh, you know even having the, the alien there uh, what's the species that Dex is from oh, uh, I always forget but um, yeah so just seeing that species kind of in that type of battle setting you know just it kind of it just looks really cool, and I hope that guy is actually a character in the book because I want to read about him. Um, but yeah, it's this this cover looks really cool, and I actually said something to Arish about it. Um, I texted him, and I was like, I really love the cover for Battlefront Twilight Company. 
He said, oh, that's only half of it. It's a full wraparound. So he said, just wait till you see the other half. Ooh. So mm. it's cool. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for this book because I feel like it'll be kind of close tonally to what we're going to see in Rogue One. Like, I don't think it'll tie in directly or anything, but, you know, the fact that it's a kind of a military ground level war film um, makes me really excited because we know that's what Rogue One is going to be like. So I'm, I'm really, I, I really like that type of film uh, and that type of book. So I, I'm, I'm pretty stoked for this one, especially after seeing this cover. Well, I'm excited for it because I've met and hung out with Alexander Freed, and we've also had him on the show, and I think that it's really awesome that he got a chance to do this. So it'll be nice to read it and then maybe get to talk to him again um, about writing this because the last time we talked to him, he had just done some comic stuff and um, some stuff for the Old Republic um, game for Bioware. So I think it'll be really cool. All right. Well, do you think we are ready to jump into our review of Lords of the Sith? I think so, if everybody else is ready. So this book was written by Paul Kemp, uh, release date April 28th, 2015. Timeline, it happens eight years after the start of the Clone Wars. And Teresa, do you want to do the publisher summary? I can do that. So the publisher summary goes like this. Anakin Skywalker, Jedi Knight, is just a memory. Darth Vader, newly anointed Sith Lord, is ascendant. The Emperor's chosen apprentice has swiftly proven his loyalty to the dark side. Still, the history of the Sith Order is one of duplicity, betrayal, and acolytes violently usurping their masters. It's a hard word. And the truest measure of Vader's allegiance has yet to be taken. Until now. On Ryloth, a planet crucial to the growing empire as a source of slave labor and the narcotic known as Spice, an aggressive resistance movement has arisen, led by Chom Syndulla, an idealistic freedom fighter, and Isval, a vengeful former slave. But Emperor Palpatine means to control the embattled world and its precious resources by political power or firepower, and he will neither be intimidated nor denied. Accompanied by his merciless disciple, Darth Vader, he sets out on a rare personal mission to ensure his will is done. For Sindula and Isval, it's the opportunity to strike at the very heart of the ruthless dictatorship sweeping the galaxy. And for the Emperor and Darth Vader, Ryloth becomes more than just a matter of putting down an insurrection. When an ambush sends them crashing into the planet's surface, where inhospitable terrain and an army of resistance fighters await them, they will find their relationship tested as never before. With only their lightsabers, the dark side of the Force, and each other to depend on, the two Sith must decide if the brutal bond they share will make them victorious allies or lethal adversaries. First impressions of the book, or like, were you excited before you read it? This this was one I was more excited for, for a couple reasons. The who's in it, you know, it being Vader and uh, the Emperor, and kind of the idea of them being stranded on a planet, and you know using their force powers, and I was kind of excited for that, maybe to learn more about their relationship. But also it was written by Paul Kemp. I actually like uh, Paul Kemp's writing, um, specifically his books that he did kind of in the the New Jedi Order era. Um, the uh, What were they called? Riptide and Cross Current, I think, um, were actually two of my favorite Star Wars books. So, yeah, so I was excited for this one because of the writer, because of the subject matter. Uh, so going into it, yeah, I was pretty pretty um, excited for what I was about to read. And Jason, what about you? 
Um, yeah, I, I can't say I was super excited for this one. Uh, I had kind of just a passing interest in it because it did sound interesting, you know, having a Vader Emperor adventure story. And Paul Camp, I enjoyed his writing as well. But I can't say I was uh, too excited for it. But once I did actually read it, it kind of became one of, if not my favorite, Star Wars books in the canon so far. So, Oh, wow. So oh. being the chronology uh, person that you just admitted that you are, where does this put us in relation to the end of Revenge of the Sith? Well, it's eight years after the beginning of the Clone Wars, yes? Right. That's what, yeah, that's Which what is I said. a weird way to put it. So that would put it at five years after uh, Revenge of the Sith, which is right around the same time that Tarkin takes place, I believe. Okay. I was trying to put it into, because of the character of Cham Syndulla having appeared in the Clone Wars, and then we find out that he's Hera's father, um, trying mm-hmm. to kind of put it into relation to where it sits as to Revenge of the Sith. Where does it sit? You know, as in comparison to Rebels, how old is Hera at this point? Like, I'm trying to figure all this out in my brain. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, well, Rebels takes place 15 years. Um, or at least right now, we're 15 years after Revenge of the Sith. So this is 10 years before that. So Hera's probably like a teenager. Okay. Maybe late teens. I think it's interesting just because, you know, they don't really give us anything yet in Rebels to tie into this book or even into what we saw in the Clone Wars. And I would expect as we start to dive into the characters on Rebels that we'll start to get some of those tie-togethers. I would hope we will anyway. Yeah, some of the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I was actually kind of shocked that Chan Sandula was actually her father, and I don't know why, but I had heard somewhere that Chan Sandula was her uncle, and I think it was around New York Comic Con last yeah. year that Chan Sandula was supposed to be her uncle, and then when I was reading it, and I was like, oh, it's her father, and it sort of just blew my mind. One of the things that they mentioned in this book is kind of how this type of an event or this type of a group can spark a rebellion. And I know we were kind of hearing that about a a couple different groups. You know, like I know during the Clone Wars uh, television show, you had that episode that was set on, uh, what was the planet? Onderon? That was kind of that group of freedom fighters. Oh, the Onderon arc with... um, Lux. Yeah, well, then the Geras, like the people they've just made trading cards of. (laughs) Right. So Stila and her brother or something. And I remember when they were talking about those episodes out they were talking about how that was kind of like oh that's the beginning of the rebellion um and then you have you know this group of freedom fighters on ryloth that it's kind of that's also sparking a rebellion and then you have obviously star wars rebels is all about you know not only our group of rebels that we follow but then they hook up together you know with fulcrum and her and her bigger thing that's going on so it's kind of interesting to see all these smaller rebellions and hopefully we can kind of learn because of the events of this book um, and the fact that Cham Syndulla does survive this book, it'd be interesting to hear, you know, kind of how did he get involved in the bigger rebellion? Is that why Hera's involved with Fulcrum? So, like, when they start to tie these story threads together, it just makes the galaxy that much bigger. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing if they do that. And it kind of makes me wonder if we'll see Cham Syndulla in Rebels. Right. Yeah. Like, I was pretty surprised that he 
Or how spoilerific are we getting? Oh, we Complete. get really spoilerly. Oh, yeah. spoilerly. Okay. okay. We should say that too. It's right been now. out a while. <laughs> it, it, it's been out for a bit. So you yeah. haven't read it by now. <laughs> um, yeah, I was pretty surprised that he survived this book. I totally thought he was going to die, and that would act as sort of the uh, the, uh, the drive for Hera as she becomes a rebel. Yeah, I thought the same but, thing. But uh, no, he he didn't. So did you guys did either of you go back see. and watch the the episode that he is in in Clone Wars to kind of get a feel for the character or did you did you just kind of read the book without doing that I actually watched the Ryloth arc pretty often I don't know if you knew that um it's one of my favorite arcs in the Clone Wars so I've seen that episode um and I think there's like two of them um I've watched him a lot yeah, I also like the little the little um, Twilight baby. Hmm. Doesn't really talk much. <laughs> Just kind of points at stuff <laughs> with the clones, and I think it's hilarious. That's one of my favorite episodes. Actually, is that episode with <laughs> with uh, the two clones and Obi Wan and the little girl? That's one of my favorite episodes of Clone Wars. But also, um, I think it's called Liberty on Ryloth, which is the episode that Champs and Doula's in. I just mm. watched that last night, and it's been a while since I had seen it. And so I had already finished the novel and kind of had an idea of the character in my head. But then when I watched the episode, it kind of changed the way I thought about him. He was just a little bit different than I was kind of imagining him. Um, but yeah, that I had forgotten how good that episode was. I was uh, I was pretty, I was like, oh, this is a really cool episode. Not as much for Champs and Doolin, more for Mace Windu. But yeah, it was a it was a really good Mace. Really good story. I know people like to hate on Mace Windu, but whatever. He was. Cool. I don't hate on Mace Windu. Mace Windu got he earned everything that he gets from me. <laughs> the, they did kind of turn Mace Windu into sort of the representation of how the Jedi Order is fallen. Yeah, they did. You know how it's more bureaucratic and not so much invested in uh, peace, keeping the peace, that kind of thing. Right, yeah, but um, yeah. So I thought that was it. Was, I would recommend it to anyone if you're going to read this novel. If you and you probably already have read it. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, but if you haven't, um, or if you have read it and you haven't gone back and watched that episode of Clone Wars, it is kind of a nice companion piece. And actually, there's a character that I didn't realize. He says uh, he, and it's a very small little part, but the character comes in and he calls him Gobi. And then I was like, that name sounds familiar. So I searched the novel to see if there was a character named Gobi in it, and there was. So even there's even like a side character that appears in the Clone Wars that is one of the characters in the novel as well. Cool. This this story is pretty interesting as far as uh, kind of the setting of it. You know, we have kind of at the beginning, we have the, the Resistance trying to take down the Star Destroyer, and then it leads to the Emperor and Darth Vader kind of barely surviving you know, the crash and landing on the planet and kind of having to run, kind of run for their lives, but also they never really seemed like they were in that much danger just because they're so powerful. Um, and then the story kind of just became them trying to hunt them down and, and destroy um, Darth Vader and Emperor. Um, but a lot of interesting characters throughout. Um, but I thought one of the most interesting things about this book was kind of the the relationship between Darth Vader and the Emperor. Um, and they, you get a lot more interaction between the characters that we typically see in other things. And this is, you know, I know we've seen in kind of the Legends universe, we've seen a lot of interaction. But in the canon, in the new canon, we're getting almost a different feel, I think, for those two characters and how they interact. 
Um, and I feel like Vader is definitely, you know, he's definitely subservient. Scarier? Well, not scary. He just, he's so subservient to the Emperor. The Emperor just has this hold over him that it's almost, it kind of takes away from the character a little bit because he just seems so defeated um, and, you know, almost scared of the Emperor. I don't know. Did you guys get kind of a feel of that relationship? How did it, how did it hit you guys? I definitely saw some of that for sure. Um, but I, I thought it was more of like a tension that was between the two. Obviously he was completely subservient to the emperor at this point, but you can, you know, occasionally he does have, you know, just a side thought about what it would be like to be in charge, you know? And we see that develop a little bit more later in the timeline by the time we get to, like, the Darth Vader and Star Wars comics. Uh, there's more of that going on there. Uh, and this is just five years after Revenge of the Sith, so it's not so much. But the, um, there's definitely some tension there, in my opinion. Um, but I also really love their relationship because uh, it's like the Emperor kind of knew everything that was going to happen and he was just observing Right. Uh, only occasionally did he get his own hands dirty. Uh, whereas most of the time he just let Vader do all the work, which in some cases was pretty cool for his character. But in other cases, you know, it did kind of make Vader look like this servant who just had to obey the Emperor at all times. It was it was an interesting relationship, to say the least. Well, I guess for me, Vader being subservient to the Empire or to the Emperor doesn't really bother me because that's the way it's supposed to be. He's supposed to be that way. And especially since he's sort of a newly born Sith, um, and kind of look at it like that, similar to like newly born vampires, um, they kind of go along with what they're supposed to do. He hasn't really started to break away and make his own way yet. Now we see him start to do that in the films and we see him do that a little bit in Rebels. So... I actually don't mind it. There is only one thing with Vader that kind of, I just had to go ridiculous. That's <laughs> the thing I said when I read it. Um, let's just, you know, let's talk about when he decides to get out of his spaceship in the middle of space. Oh. <laughs> the part where he like purposely <laughs> crashes his spaceship into the side of yeah. another ship so he could use it as a portal to get into the ship. Yeah. Um, Did you not like that? I thought it was dumb. I, to me, that <laughs> I, well, was... I mean, it was kind of like... I was like, this is dumb. Slightly odd, sort of cool, but mostly dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I was more the cool factor. I just thought it was a unique... You know, he, he had to figure out a way to get onto the ship, and it just kind of showed how powerful he is. I just... I, I thought it was cool. I think it showed his Anakin side. Like the root, the side that's Definitely. like, I don't care. I'm just going to try it. It may work. It may not work. Right. You know? The side that just jumps out of a speeder and hopes that he, you know, hopes everything turns Lands out on okay. Something. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah it, it fits. It fits the character. You know, he's he's a different version of himself now, but it's still Anakin in there. So, yeah. Actually, I didn't even think of that mm -hmm. until you said it, but that makes complete sense to me. I just think it's kind of just a funny moment. It has nothing really to do with anything other than it's funny. I just liked how in awe everyone was. And that's one thing I like about this novel, too, is um, how these characters just don't really realize what they're up against until they're up against it. And, you know, Vader is a name that they've heard or, you know, they might be a little intimidated by him. But then once they actually see him in action, they're like, oh, my God, this guy is going to kill us. Like, he he's unstoppable. 
Um, and I like that it wasn't just this known thing where everyone in the galaxy is already so scared of him. It was kind of just like, oh, he's this figurehead. But then when they saw him, you know, bearing down on them, they were just like, oh, crap. Like, this guy's way more powerful than we ever even imagined. I feel like that's a line from the movie. From, <laughs> from what movie? <laughs> a Star Wars movie. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> no, not oh, crap. He's more powerful than we ever even Can possibly imagine. Yeah. So... I liked it. I liked the. There were some parts of the book that I didn't love, as far as some of the powers that, you know, it almost got a little, maybe a little too crazy. How they could fight off an entire horde of these crazy lilac things that they were, but um, that got a little excessive. But overall, I th- I thought it was kind of cool to see these two characters, you know, kick a little bit of butt. Well, uh, as far as like the lilacs, so I. I mean, how do you pronounce that? It just sounds like a flower to me. So the whole time I'm reading lilac, <laughs> I'm thinking I'm not thinking that intimidating. You're thinking at all about lilacs. Lilacs, yeah, like but lilacs, they're so pretty. Yeah, like a horde of lilacs are after us. Um, so yeah, the, the, I thought maybe the name could have been something a little bit more intimidating, but I don't know. That whole part of the book to me was a little off. That was the only part of the book I would say that I didn't like was just that that whole idea of them kind of having to run from them and go down into the, the caves and, you know, this, it just seemed a little dragged out almost like the writer was kind of like, Oh, I need to kill some pages here. So, you know, let me come up with this, this side thing. Like I didn't love it. Yeah. And I feel like that was the greatest threat that they ever faced in the book. Like at the time that they were in the most trouble, which doesn't add up to me because you, you want you want the the rebels to be the ones that are really testing their abilities. Uh, of course, we know Vader and Palpatine were going to get out of it um, because we see them in later films and stuff. But um, I agree; it did feel dragged out, felt a bit repetitive. Oh, just uh, here comes another wave of Wyvax. <laughs> it almost was like video game, like you know, like you, oh, you defeated yeah. the first group. Here comes another wave. You got to fe- defeat that group, and and then there's a queen at the end. You know, it's kind of the boss lilac. Right, exactly. So it it did get that was the only part of the book that I was kind of like, uh, okay, let's get this part over with. Um, but it led to some cool stuff that happened. I mean, the characters that were with Palpatine and Vader, interesting. You know, they were they were Imperial guards, right? Yeah, and at least one of them was a former clone. Right, and I thought that was interesting, you know, that there was a former clone that was an Imperial Guard, so that was kind of a cool touch. Um, But yeah, so overall the characters across the board were very interesting. Um, But yeah, that that whole lilac thing was a little dragged out. So how did you guys feel about um, the character of Isval and what ended up happening to her? So I really liked the character of Isval, and at certain points I felt almost like she was the main character of the book, uh, because it's kind of hard to pinpoint who is supposed to be the main character. Uh, maybe there wasn't, you know, maybe it's kind of just there wasn't necessarily supposed to be a focus character, but it seemed like at times it was Cham Sandula, but then other times it seemed like they were focusing more on her. Um, but she definitely did a lot more than Cham did. Uh, I really like the character a lot. the The whole scene where they were kind of setting up 
kind of what she was doing that I guess everybody wasn't necessarily aware of where she was kind of going down into the depths of of wherever that was and you know purposely killing imperials that were doing bad things like that was a little I don't know like it just seemed a little like they were trying to set something up and it didn't really go anywhere but um definitely a, a pretty um you know rough life for this character and you know she had a, a pretty big chip on her shoulder when it came to the empire you know what i've Definitely. noticed they've been doing recently is they've been creating these pretty cool female characters and then killing, killing them. them uh yes <laughs> this, yeah. this does happen um <laughs> yeah i thought that at the end i mean we can kind of jump to what happens to her here but yeah i thought that there was one part of the book where you seem like she died and then they came back to her and she was still alive. And so I was like, okay, you know, they just wanted us to think she died, but she's going to be captured and maybe she'll get rescued or whatever. Who knows? But then she just died. I thought her character was interesting. Like all that stuff where you're saying uh, that seemed to be setting something up and didn't, I agree with that, but I think it was a very good a way to demonstrate who she was and what her character was and really build that character just to die, which is the important, the, the disappointing part. But, uh, I thought she was great. Like the fact that she, she, she was a good guy, but she had some rough edges. Uh, she, she had a, a really rough past and, she was ruthless when it came to the Imperials and things like slavery. And I thought that was a very interesting spin on a character because usually when you get a good guy in Star Wars, they're usually like this noble, quintessential good person. Um, and this person wasn't really that, which I thought was a kind of refreshing take on that, uh, on the, the forces of good, I guess. But uh, it is kind of disappointing that they killed her off, as Teresa said, much like many other female characters in some of the stories right going on right now. I liked the character or character of Isval. I can't talk. Um, she kind of scared me a little bit, but I liked her. So, you know, it is what it is. Now, what about um, the Imperials that were introduced to? Belcor and Moth Moors. Moth Mars? Moors? Moors? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Moth Moors. Um, so Moth Moors, to me, she was an interesting character because when they first introduce her, it's very clear that you're, you know, you're not supposed to think very highly of her. She's lazy. She's, you know, putting all her work onto this other character. She's kind of not doing her job and things are falling apart around her. Um, but as the, the book goes on, she actually becomes, you know, not that she becomes a heroic character, but she, once she kind of gets her focus back because of the, the bad things that are going on around her, she becomes this very competent character that you're kind of rooting for. Um, so I actually really like that character, kind of a unique character, and I like to see in the short period of time we knew her, kind of that character growth that happened. It was interesting to me because... The, uh, both of those characters, Belcor and Mothmores, kind of switched places in their level of sanity and likability. Right. Because uh, Belcor started off, you know, I liked him. He seemed a very sane individual. And by the end of the thing, you know, he was just off his rocker. 
And Moth Moore's was kind of the reverse of that. And so I, I thought that was an interesting kind of switch going on there. And I liked Moth Moore's. I thought she was great. I started off a little rough, and it took me a while before I realized, that, oh, I'm supposed to like this person now, you know? That's I think um, that's one of the strengths of this book, too, is that a lot of these side characters are very interesting. It, there wasn't a lot, there wasn't very many characters where they were just kind of throwaway characters. Um, they were all, maybe not all likable, but all very interesting, and it seemed well thought out um, and pretty unique. So, yeah, when I first got into this book, I thought it would be mostly about Vader and Palpatine. Um, but as it turns out, it seems to be more like Vader and Palpatine are more like a force of nature. And the real story is about how everybody around them in this situation um, deals with their presence, you know, because you got the rebels trying to kill them. You've got Moff Moors and, and Belcor, you know, having this feud and uh, everything just kind of, you know, it, it all hits the fan once they get there. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was uh, alluding to earlier when I was talking about the cover of, of Twilight Company and how you can't really tell if that has anything to do with the actual book. Because I do feel like, you know, even with the title of this, Lords of the Sith, and you have the cover of Vader and and uh, the Emperor, and it just seems like, oh, this book's just going to be about these two guys just going crazy and, you know, killing a bunch of people. And it really wasn't. You know, the book was more about the this, you know, this Ryloth, you know, freedom fighters and the Imperials that were involved in this and kind of Vader and em the Emperor kind of became almost uh, like just a side story of, you know, kind of what everybody was chasing, but not necessarily the main characters of the book. So it was a little, a bit of a misdirect as far as the way that you, th what you thought you were getting probably when you started reading the book, but I'm actually happy that it turned out the way it did. I think it made the book a little bit more interesting. Um, but back to Belcor a little bit, because that character he, I ended up by the end of it. I just was highly entertained by how that character was written. Um, you know, kind of like you were saying, he was kind of the straight man at the beginning, and then by the end, he just completely cracks. And just his fall to insanity was hilarious. I, I was, I was just laughing at the end where he's, <laughs> he's in that scout bubble ship, and he had just killed the Imperial that was with him, and then he's talking to the dead body like he's still alive, you know, and he's just, he's just going completely off his rocker. Um, yeah, it was, it was just so entertaining. I thought it was very well done. As far as like Cham Syndulla goes though, the, I guess I was a little, I guess I was hoping to see him do a little bit more. Um, but really he, almost all of the scenes that he's in, he's kind of, um, not really in the middle of the action more than just being on the phone with the people that are in the middle of the action. Um, so that was a little, you know, Maybe kind of hoping to see him get his hands a little bit more dirty than he did, um, and then he does end up surviving. And his and you have kind of the love story a little bit that they kind of try to slip in there at the end, but they didn't really focus that much on it. Um, but yeah, anything else? But you don't really like love stories in your books. No, I don't. Typically, I mean, I don't mind. I don't mind romance being in a novel. I just don't want it to be the main focus of a novel. Um, but that's just a taste thing more than anything else. Uh, there was a couple things in this book before we wrap up our review, just kind of maybe some just like side observations of things that happened or things that were said. Um, I thought it was interesting kind of toward the beginning of the book where uh, they're kind of telling it from Vader's perspective. 
and he was describing how his injuries that he had actually fueled his connection to the Force um, and made him feel stronger connected to the Force than he's ever felt. And I, up until this point, I had always kind of thought that once Vader had sustained the injuries that he did on Mustafar, it actually weakened him as a character and made his connection to the Force less. And I, I people refer to him as, you know, he's not, um, he's more machine than man. And, and a lot of people kind of use that as an excuse as why Vader wasn't that, you know, he didn't just wipe the floor with Luke because he just, you know, he had lost so much of his connection to the Force because of all the, you know, trauma that he had. So I thought that was interesting in the book where it kind of went a whole different direction with it, where they're saying that those injuries actually helped his connection to the Force because it fueled his ang- fueled his anger, which made him stronger in the dark side. Uh, so it kind of uh, gave me a new perspective on, on Vader and his injuries. Yeah, it's interesting that you think, or that you thought that his connection to the force and stuff was diminished because of his injuries because I never really never really thought that um so I think that's the first time I've heard you say that so it's kind of an interesting yeah it's just something I've always because I always try to justify you know you hear people try to justify you know why was Vader or why was Luke able to keep up with Vader and in, in his lightsaber battles and you, you kind of try to figure it out in your head and so I, I think that was just kind of a maybe something that I just came up with in my own brain to kind of justify it. You know, oh, well, he's injured and he doesn't actually have human parts. And then you find out, um, you know, the whole midichlorian thing, that if midichlorian's in our blood cells, and he had a ton of midichlorians, but if he ends up losing three of his limbs, obviously he lost a lot of his blood cells, so that means he lost a lot of his midichlorians. So, like, I don't know. I just (laughs) My brain just kind of went that direction with it for many years. And so then when I'm reading this, you know, Paul Kemp in canon is saying, no, his injuries actually helped his connection to the Force. I was like, oh, well, there goes that theory. So, Yeah, I, I, I totally thought the same thing. I think it comes from, uh, what was that book? Um, so one, uh, There's a Legends book that took place right after Revenge of the Sith. Um, Dark Lord? Was it? Was it Dark? Yeah, dark, I think that was it. That one really kind of took that theory and ran with it. Okay, maybe that's I might be thinking of that then. I knew I knew there was something that was kind of putting that in my brain, but yeah. This is definitely a different take on it, which it was one of the first things I highlighted as I was reading this. I was like, I need to come back to that because um it kind of changes my perspective on Darth Vader. And that's that's kind of the cool thing about these new canon books because you know, as much as we think we know about these characters, you know, they're kind of re reinventing uh some of these rules. So uh, it's kind of cool to learn these new things. Hmm. Well, um, is there anything else anybody wants to mention before we wrap up? Um, uh, there was a mention of Ahsoka, which I thought was cool. And um, some of the other characters from Clone Wars, I think, got mentioned as well. Some of the... the oh, who was it? I think like Rex gets a mention. So I, I, it was just kind of cool to see some of these Clone Wars characters' names kind of scattered throughout. And then another thing about Vader and and the emperor in their interactions was it was it was really interesting to see kind of the emperor trying to bring up these old memories for vader just to see how vader would react he was just really messing with his brain the whole time which is such a horrible way to deal with a relationship but like that's just to see how evil of a character the emperor was in this book just really reinforced that that he's basically mentally abusing this this you know this apprentice of his um and then at the end where he makes him go out and kill that entire village of people, it just it was just like heart-wrenching. It was like, oh my gosh. like You almost start to feel bad for Vader all over again. 
as much as I don't, as much as I hate the character. I don't feel bad for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like, he's that's just what he this... does. He kills people in mass murdering situations. He does. He does for sure. He does it all the time. It's like his thing, the <laughs> shtick. And even as they were, you know, kind of the way it was described in the book, as he's walking into the cave to, to take out that entire village, he's, you know, bringing up memories of the Jedi temple and going in and killing the younglings. And it's just like, Oh, come on, come on, Vader. <laughs> what? He's a bad guy. He is a bad, bad guy. guys do that. He is, but he used to be Anakin Skywalker, and it's very tragic. Eh, Anakin was always a little bit off. <laughs> he had some issues. Wow. <laughs> well, he does. Anakin has always had issues. You know, he has issues with authority. He has issues with, you know, being afraid of death. He has issues with being afraid of being alone. He has, He is a perfect psychologically messed up person. He doesn't have a lot of support, you know. He doesn't have a lot of people there to answer questions when he has questions. You know, the Jedi Order was not that kind of a nurturing environment. I think if he had stayed with his mom, he would have been a totally different person. Better off? Yeah, in a lot of ways, I think yeah. so. So, um, another thing that they... So it's all Qui-Gon's fault. Yeah. It's all... yeah. It all comes back to Qui-Gon. Um. I thought it was cool that they mentioned Inquisitors, too. That that was uh, something that uh, I think Belcor was kind of worried about if he had, was going to end up having to face an Imperial Inquisitor. So just like just those kind of little things dropped in, um, I thought were, were pretty cool touches. But All yeah, right. I think that's pretty much it. So, Jason, overall, you liked it? Yeah, overall, I liked it. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure how it ranks among my books i'm starting to not rank them because we're getting a couple of good ones now between this one and uh dark disciple um but it's definitely up there it's one of my favorites it had a uh good clone wars vibe but also a good um original trilogy connection it was a good kind of bridge between the two so i like that and yeah i think i've said pretty much everything i had to say or aaron did <laughs> and so Aaron, I'm gonna go ahead and assume you like this one. I did like it. Yeah. I I wouldn't I wouldn't say I loved it, but I did like it and um I would say right now it probably falls right behind Dark Disciple as far as the new canon uh stuff that's come out as far as novels go. Um I, I haven't really liked the other the other ones that came out, but so Dark Disciple and Lords of the Sith I both really liked. Okay. Um So let's see. On our next episode, we will be reviewing Dark Disciples. So that is coming up. I know Aaron and I are both very excited to talk about Dark Disciple. If you want to follow us in between shows, um, well, first of all, Jason, where can people find you on the web? Uh, Best place to find me is on Twitter. Uh, My Twitter handle is at StoryHobbit. And you can also find me on Legends and Lore, Far, Far Away Radio, StarWars.com. And my own personal site, storyhobby.com. Story hobby. <laughs> yeah, that's where I put the timelines. Ooh. Cool. I'll need wow. to check that out. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Star Wars Bookworms. And if you want to send us an email, um, we didn't read any on this show, but we will on the next show. Um, Star Wars Bookworms at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook. 
Uh, typically we put kind of the latest news updates there, covers that are released, new comics that are coming out, so check us out on Facebook for that. Um, if you like our show and um, want to leave us a review, head on over to iTunes. You can leave us a nice five-star review. We would really appreciate that. And you can follow Teresa on Twitter and Instagram at IceColdPenguin. You can follow me at AVGoins. So until next time, keep on reading and may the force be with you.